Welcome to Talking Property, where you get the inside information into what's going on in the Australian and Asian property markets from leading property and investment experts. Thanks for tuning in to Australian Property Journal's Talking Property podcast. I'm Nelson Yep, editor and publisher of APJ. My guests today are David Uchun, uh, the State Director of New South Wales and ACT at MaxCap Group, and Grace Wu, the Managing Director of Bridgestone Projects. Uh, it's very exciting because we've got two guests today. We have uh, never done this before, so this is something that is um, exciting for, I think, our listeners and our readers to hear from two sides of the market, a financier side and a developer. So I guess let's kick right into it and get started. Um, you know, as we record this podcast today, we're on the 1st of June, um, which is already half year. Time flies very quickly. Um, can you give us sort of uh, an overview of what has happened in your own spaces or in your own sort of field and industries? What has happened in the last 12 months to and, and that has led to where we are right now? Um Who's happy to take the uh, the question first? Uh, I'm happy to go first. Nelson, yeah, thank David. You mm-hmm. um, so from the financier perspective uh, and, and really the overall development market, I th- think it's been quite a challenging period. Um, you know, the last 12 or, or even 18 or 24 months hasn't been easy. I think there's no doubt about that. We've come out of COVID, um, but there's been a number of uh, lingering effects of that. Uh, we've had construction costs that have escalated significantly over the last couple of years and have remained high over the last 12 months. Mm. Uh, and more recently, we've obviously had interest rates rise rapidly as well, which, of course, is something that uh, all financiers um, are focused on and, and have experienced. And then in turn, uh, our clients and, and developers are obviously very focused on when it comes to the cost of borrowing money. So it, it has been a, a challenging period. Um, and it's been about working with our clients to to navigate that and, and get through that, really. That's interesting to hear from that. And Grace, can you share or give us an insight into what's happening from the developer's perspective in the last 12 months? Yeah, Nelson. Uh, so basically, in the last 12 months, it is very challenging for developer because, as David mentioned, the rising interest and plus the high construction cost. Plus, most important, you know, the pre-sale will be a very good, uh, big challenge for developer as well. Um, investor didn't have a good uh, enough confidence to invest because of the high interest rate. And the plus, um, the owner occupier still concerned with, you know, the um, off-plan mar- uh, market, you know, construct uh, building qualities. Those kind of worries um, still slow down the market for the pre-sale. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the, uh, I think we're sort of, uh, I don't know how to best describe it, but we're sort of stuck in between, I guess, the rock and a hard place because we've got, you know, market demand for uh, housing is not slowing uh, because we've got, you know, obviously migration and all these things. And and now um, after COVID, a lot of people have decided, actually, I now want to go back to live in the metropolitan area. So, and then you've got interest rates competing too with the cost and the cost of living rising. So, um, yeah, what, what do you think um, in that sense, how do we overcome those challenges right now? Um, or, or where do you see the opportunities for, for from the financier side, David? Oh, look, I think the point that you've made there, Nelson, about um, 
you know, the demand and, and the undersupply is, is something that can't be uh, emphasised enough. Um, mm-hmm. Here in Sydney and, and I know uh, Melbourne and, and perhaps to a lesser degree Brisbane are going through the same thing, but we are chronically undersupplied housing um, and, uh, you know, that's really in my mind the, the primary issue when it comes to housing affordability. Mm. Um but by the same token, that's that's a good thing when it comes to being a developer like Grace or being a financier to developers like me. You know, having that underlying demand is 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 really strong. It means, um, you know, clearly the ability to to have your end product purchased and then as a financier ultimately be repaid is very strong. It's just about how do we get those projects launched so that we can take up that demand, and that's where the challenge. Uh, has been in the last year or two, as we've touched on before, with with some of the issues that we've already mentioned. But mm. you know, pleasingly, the pleasingly the demand is there, and I think once things settle down a little bit when it comes to interest rates and construction costs, then hopefully we can work together as developers like Grace and financiers to um, to deliver that product and and hopefully you know try to tackle that that undersupply and ultimately the the affordability challenge. Mm. Grace, are you seeing any opportunities in the market in the, that has opened up in the last 12 months? Definitely, Nelson. So we can see the major change is a rental increase in the yes. last months, right? So because this is, you know, post the COVID period, so the people changing, you know, from uh, walking from home back to the metropolitan. Before, there's a people, uh, there's strong demand in the houseland because COVID, the people all want to, you know, live in the house. Have a yes. Space, they can walk in from home. But now it's supposed to COVID. People, you know, the company call up and people come back to working in the, you know, mm-hmm. workplace, right? Mm-hmm. So they started changing to, um, you know, living the, um, you know, some house and they move back to the uh, metropolitan, which is more close to the transportation, close to the other city fringing city area. So mm-hmm. which is, you know, provide more opportunity for uh, apartment developers, to yes. have a demand, but also, you know, because um, high rent drive the market, right? So the lots of purchasers, they do have, you know, um, demand to uh, come back to the market. That's the opportunity I have seen. Mm. Uh, now, I, I suppose what I want to move on to is the um, max cap. Obviously, you're both uh, representing your organizations here, your companies here. Um, but you have worked together, max cap and, uh, and Bridgestone. I wanted to look at sort of how this came about um, and what uh, each party was looking for and how you chose to work together and the projects that you work together. If you can give some examples, because I'm sure a lot of developers out there would like to, you know, hear about these things and what has made your relationship successful. Sure. I'm happy to go first with that, Nelson. So Mm -hmm. Bryce and I... um, are working together currently on, on a project um, which Bridgestone are uh, developing in Castle Hill in Sydney, known as Chateau. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's actually the first project that we've worked on together. So we don't have a, a long-standing relationship. Um, we were introduced uh, probably around two years ago to look at this project specifically. And then we've formed a very strong relationship from that point forward, not only on this project, but now um, looking at um, future projects together. And I think from from MaxCap's point of view, um, you know, when we look for clients, it's 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 really about people that have the skills and experience um, to do the projects they're doing. I think that goes without saying. But then it 
comes to, you know, what is the team that they're putting in place around them and, and how strong are they? And, you know, that's the builder and, and other consultants. And then ultimately it's, it's the relationship that you can form with that client because at the end of the day, you know, really this is, is a relationship business and I'm sure Grace will say the same um, in terms of choosing a financier. But from my side, it's, the relationship is critical. You, you've got to be able to, to talk and negotiate and work your way through um, the inevitable challenges that will come along the way. Mm. Uh, property development and construction finance is, is not often um, smooth sailing for the entire time. So it's really about um, being able to, to find clients who have the skills and capabilities, you know, put a good team around them and acknowledge what they're good at and, and you know, what they're uh, not good at and where they need to get some help from some outside consultants. And on that point, one of the things that um, I think was, was really strong with Bridgestone is that they actually own a, a sales um, project marketing business. So, right from the start, you know, their ability to sell their product and ultimately that's the source of our repayment, uh, mm-hmm. they were very strong in that area and that gave me a lot of confidence that, uh, you know, that, that is a critical part of property development. The sales side of it was, was going to be taken care of. They also had a fantastic site. The Castle Hill project, which we're funding, was extremely well located, really close to the train station, close to good amenity. So there are a number of things there that I think, you know, um, made Bridgestone an attractive client. And then, as I've said, over the course of the last two years, we've we've developed a a strong relationship. MaxCap Group is one of Australia's leading commercial real estate financiers. Since inception in 2007, they have originated and managed $14.5 billion across more than 490 investments spanning all real estate sectors and across the full capital stack. And now I want to pose the uh, Slightly different question to Grace in that sense. So, Grace, when it comes to choosing a financier, um, obviously uh, Bridgestone and MaxCap, this is the first project you've worked together on. What advice do you have for other developers or what do you look for in a financier? And then what can you share, uh, you know, in terms of uh, saying to other developers, how do you choose a lender or a financier for your project? Thank you, uh, Nelson. Actually, this is a very good question as a developer to share some experience. Yes. So I still mm. remember, you know, um, two years ago, uh, three years ago, when I first time met with David, um, <laughs> there was a COVID, a COVID period, right? So, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, I think, you know, the most important uh, topic we discuss is not the, uh, how, how low is the interest rate, how low is the, you know, the facility fees you can provide to me. We're talking mm. about, you know, what's the, um, whole package facility and the flexibility and the terms sheet you can provide to me. I think that as a, a developer, when we uh, achieve to become a you know, successful project to be delivery, it's, it, in this market, it's very hard to find you know, cheaper land, cheaper than other people, mm. very hard you know, to squeeze the uh, builder's construction cost. And also, if you, you know, just looking for the lowest cost for financial, you might be, you know, lose the opportunity to, you know, deliver um, overall long run. So uh, I think, you know, for my philosophy to be a developer, we're always looking for, you know, um, the, what's the efficient rate <laughs> rather than just press the lowest cost. 
And yes. also, um, I do appreciate because we we compare, you know, the bank finance and the you know um, um, the uh, the financial facility which is max cap provided to us institutional mm. cost. So the very difficult is the situation different because COVID period, people stay at home. We can't, you know, reach the pre-sale as a bank request. So what's the point, you know, we're chasing for the lowest cost by holding the lender, lender cost for a long time, right? Right. So we coming, you know, when David coming to me, we're talking about, you know, the whole picture. We're looking for the efficiency for her project rather than just have a look at the cost only. So this mm. is, you know, um, very important the start point for us. But also, you know, because during the construction period, we've been facing too much difficulties. Weather, mm. terrible weather in New South Wales, you know, rainy weather, there's a cost, you know, project delays, raising interest, um, which is, you know, the financial financial come back to us, request more equities to provide a, you know, safe position for themselves. And also mm. construction costs, the builder come back to us, uh, cost escalation. So we've been, you know, facing too many challenges during the last two, three years. But the good thing is, I really, really appreciate, you know, David and his, you know, financial team come back to us, say, okay, let's open talk. Tell mm. me, you know, what you're facing. Tell me what you thought and the let's work in together. I really, really appreciate this, you know, working solution, not just, you know, from the financial press the developer to, you know, one way. <laughs> we actually do the two-way, right? Yeah. <laughs> two-way teamwork so this is you know um something i really need to highlight and point out mm. and this is the thing i think you mentioned a bit about the uh, bank lending and this is what i i, I want to touch upon too the you know non-bank lending versus you know, bank lending and in this sense you found that the non-bank avenue was much more i suppose something that would max cap was more understanding um, and can work with you through it then rather than go through the traditional bank lending method? Is Would you say that's the case? or? Yes. So, Nelson, mm. because, you know, I think uh, bank lending and non-bank lending, they have a different regulation, right? right. So just for just talking about the pre-sale request. So mm. the bank lending, they will request, you know, 100% that that's cover before you start a drawdown. But the uh, max cap actually working on the particular uh, situation and they give us more flexibility on the pre-sales, which right. is, you know, help us to reduce the lender holding cost towards, um, you know, um, and the, the more, uh, sorry, <laughs> towards to, um, the, you know, the uh, overall um, efficiency for the whole lending facility. Right. Yeah, no, that makes um, that I think that's a great insight that a lot of developers would appreciate uh, to hear uh, that sort of difference between that that space of bank versus non-bank lending. Um, Grace, I know I've read in interviews before that you said that Harry Triggerboff is your oh. idol, <laughs> um, so I'm sure you've learned a lot from him um, about you know how to be successful because Meriton is hugely successful, um, but you've also got your own tips too, I'm sure. Um, so without giving away too much of your secret, you, how do you know, or what, what can you tell developers that how do you know, we, we, you know, for Bridgestone projects, your success in finding what home buyers are after? Okay. So, uh, um, Nelson, thank you for mentioning that. Um, I do learn lots from, uh, Harry Chukbov. He, he is, especially, mm. you know, I just mentioned he is very strong and tough, never, mm. never, um, to be softer in the market changing because if his mind wants to do one thing, 
he just mm. persisted to do it and to deliver it. Absolutely. Never give up and never compromise. So this is, <laughs> you know, very strong things I learned from him. But also, you know, um, for me to set up a bridge stone as a developer, um, mm. we have our um, philosophy to uh, refine the living experience. We want to deliver, you know, the value beyond the price for, you know, our purchaser. So uh, I think, you know, to um, highlight the difference as what we bridge stone uh, delivery in this market, we find that um, we respect that the client is very, very important. Mm. As David mentioned, I have our own, you know, um, sales team. So I always, you know, training the salespeople, you need to respect your buyer, your purchaser by providing, you know, a high-level service, but also, you know, we need to let the client um, understand the product. Because I do, we have lots of function, you know, uh, after clients uh, purchase our property. We keep right. talking to the buyer. There's one small lesson uh, case uh, the buyer told me. He said that he, before they make a decision to buy our project in Castle Hill Chateau, he did a visit to another five display. He yes. said that, you know, the difference is uh, once he asking the question for other salespeople, uh, say, you know, how big is the room size, how long mm-hmm. the corridor, those kind of questions, salespeople cannot answer. But our <laughs> salespeople can tell them, yeah, see, that's the, you know, the room size dimensions. I can yeah. show you where this, where that. So can tell lots of details. So mm-hmm. let the buyer to feel safe to purchase from us because, you know, salespeople is a well-trained, well-understand what the purchase want. And also... Mm-hmm. In a circumstance, we provide, you know, um, the level of uh, flexibility for the purchaser can make their changes, right? Mm. I know there's lots of developers don't want to do that and the builder push away, but we do, right? We respect, you know, the client want to buy a home. So which is, you know, every home, they all have a personal request. So we actually provide this kind of flexibility for our purchaser. So make sure, you know, they're happy with. So that's Mm. also very important. I just want to highlight. No, those are great lessons. Um, I've actually been to a few conferences where Harry Triggerboth was the um, was the person talking or presenting, and yeah. the whole room goes silent because everyone wants to listen to what he has to say. <laughs> There's not one person talking. Um, I, I I now want to bring you both to the uh, focus. There's a lot of talk on it, particularly in the past twelve months on build to rent. Um, in the market. I know, Grace, you're a developer with Build to Sell, um, but we've seen now the following the uh, Albanese government's announcement to the managed investment um, uh, tax, um, sorry, managed, yes, managed investment trust tax changes. We've now seen several developers from overseas now saying, oh, we want to now do Build to Rent in Australia because the, uh, the tax rate has been halved. Um, what is your view on the uh, now, uh, you know, the future of built to rent in Australia, um, David and Grace? But I'll put that question to David first. What's your view on that? Yeah, thanks, Nelson. Look, I think it's a, you know, this could be a podcast all in itself because it's a, it's a topic <laughs> that, that has a lot of um, different angles that you can take. I think yes. fundamentally we need more housing in Australia and, mm. and particularly in the bigger cities and specifically talking about Sydney where we are, there is no doubt we need more housing supply and, and we've mentioned that already in, in today's discussion. You know, build to rent for me, um, I think is just another type of supply. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would be great if we can if we can have that industry really get off the ground in Australia. You know, certainly in the US where it's multifamily and um, and to a lesser degree, but still quite large in the UK. Um, yeah. it, it's more mature in those markets, and it and it has a place in the overall housing mix. And I think we I think we do need that in Australia. Mm. Now, there are a number of challenges that are still in in front of build to rent. Um, you know, the change to the MIT withholding tax structure was an obvious one that did need to get fixed and that, you know, that allows the foreign investment to come in. I mean, nothing's changed for the domestic investors. Um, we're still not seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of participation from those and, and, and they weren't subject to, to the high rate of tax that the, the foreign investors were. So they've, all, they've always had the position that the foreign investors now have. Mm. I think that's important to note. And then there's still a number of other issues with it when it comes to, to land tax, when it comes to GST, um, you know, ultimately, land prices in in Sydney, for example, is very challenging to make build to rent work. Right. Um, yep. You know the the yield, the yield on the rental um, properties, even though, as Grace has pointed out earlier, um, you know, such low vacancy rates and and strong yields now because we've got a rental crisis. Still, the yields uh, make it challenging for feasibilities to work when you've got land prices that are so high and you're competing against build to sell developers for those land prices. And then you've also got higher interest rates now. So your cost of debt is high as well. So there still are a number of challenges. I think to really get um, build to rent off the ground, I think we probably need some more government intervention, whether that be a specific a specific zoning um, or some other concessions to, to encourage more investment to make the feasibilities work a little bit better. Mm. Uh, because ultimately, we, we, as we've talked about a couple of times today, we do need more housing supply. We do need the government to be really focused on that. They're focused on affordability, but they do focus a lot on the demand side. And I think they need to focus more on the supply side and having some tax concessions um, to encourage more build to rent would be a great way to, to push more supply into the market. Yeah, I, I think I, there's a many state governments now. Uh, WA was the recent one that announced that um, there's going to be tax concessions uh, land tax concessions for build to rent. Um, so it's interesting to see how that develops across Australia with different state jurisdictions. I agree. Um, Grace, I know build to rent developers are your competitors. <laughs> so do you want to share any, uh, or do you have any uh, views on the uh, on the market? Yeah, thank you, Nelson. Sorry, mm-hmm. build to rent. It is, you know, the new topic we always learn and uh, focusing because this is the market trend, especially government was in college, you know, developer to deliver more um, housing and uh, build to rent to reduce, you know, the, the the high rent demand in the market. But mm-hmm. uh, as David mentioned, um, the government needs to really consider, you know, the tax uh deduction or tax, you know, uh, benefit for the developer to holding the land. And also, you know, because the interest rate is high, so the holding costs are going to be very high. How developer can cover the cost by holding the the building for more than 10 years long. Mm. So this is, you know, kind of the things um, I think, you know, um, we need to think about and uh, give the developer have enough motivation to provide the built to rent. Yes. So as a local developer, um, I, I don't know whether, you know, this is the right question or not, but I'm I'm thinking, would it help pre-sales if, for example, a built-to-rent operator came to you and said, oh, we'll buy this lot of apartments within your development? Would, 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 that, something, would that be something that would work with your model? 
as a developer? To be honest, initially they will be scared with other unoccupied buyers because <laughs> they were thinking yeah. there's more, you know, renter people in the building rather than mm. unoccupied. We we mm. know, you know, the renter people probably not as care as unoccupied look after the buildings. Mm-hmm. Kind of, you know, the the strata meetings, right? So, yes. but I think you know to give us set up a certain standard for build to rent the building is very mm. important. Nelson, yeah. just following on from that question, um, yes, you know, MaxCap recently bought uh, quite a lot of stock. In, yes, absolutely. Yeah, completed apartment buildings, and mm-hmm. um, you know that's a, that's a strategy which we which we like and we're pursuing on on the equity side of the business to actually buy those apartments and and hold those and and rent those out for a number of years and you know potentially that is a way that the build to rent can move forward in this country rather than rather than the build aspect rather than developing it maybe it's just mm. purchasing completed stock um, so something that perhaps the the build to rent you know, owners or developers out there should consider as to whether they do talk to someone like Grace and and actually do a deal to buy an entire building. That's very mm-hmm. great. Well, there I think you know they can solving the problem we mentioned. It's a hard for developer holding the land for yeah. you know uh, financial coming from different angle. They mm-hmm. can you know holding the assets right have a certain return. Yeah. MaxCap Group is one of Australia's leading commercial real estate financiers. Since inception in 2007, they have originated and managed $14.5 billion across more than 490 investments spanning all real estate sectors and across the full capital stack. Yeah, no, I, I, that's why I thought I, I ask it anyway. I wasn't sure whether <laughs> to ask it, but I thought I'd do um, because I, I wanted to get that fresh perspective or a different one on, on, on that in that sense. Um, and I, of course, you know, still we're uh, focusing on housing. Um, and uh, it's great to see that finally the politicians in Canberra are, are talking about housing. It's now their priority um, after, you know, years and years of, I think, you know, not being the major focus. Um, and I saw a recent report by, um, you know, demographer Bernard Salt, and he found that uh, Australia's home ownership rate peaked at 73% in 1966, but has been declining since then. Um, but we know that, you know, the great Australian dream is to own your own home. And I'm sure, you know, many home buyers who come to Grace's um, display will say that that's their dream. So I'm keen to know. Um, or I'm, I'm sure also our listeners and our readers too, like what can Australia be doing or what can our governments and developers in the industry can do to improve supply, you know, and, and affordability um, to, you know, to, to, to stall that decline in home ownership so we can actually, you know, bring that dream alive for, for particularly the younger Australians now who are finding it's difficult to achieve that, you know, a great Australian dream. Yeah, I think Nelson, we've talked about it a little bit. It's it's all about supply and demand. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've got incredibly expensive housing in Australia because the demand uh, outstrips the supply so strongly. Mm-hmm. We've had house price growth averaging more than ten percent for as long as I can remember, and we've had wage growth, you know, zero or or you know, low. It's gone backwards digits. sometimes. Yeah, exactly. So. You know, when Bernard Salt um, 
in that analysis you just mentioned there where home ownership was at its peak, <clears throat> I think it was probably two to three times the average salary to purchase a home. Right. You know, that's, more, that's more than 10 times now. Mm. Um, so it's, it's incredibly unaffordable, um, you know, without, without some sort of generational wealth from parents and, and things like that being passed down. Uh, and, and, it, and it comes down to supply. So to answer your question, what needs to be done, it needs to be some intervention on the supply side. I, I mentioned before that the government, whenever they talk about housing affordability, they, they then follow with, you know, some, some pretty minuscule measures on the demand side, homeowners grants and first homeowners grants and things like that. And, and that doesn't really move the needle. What we really need to do is we need to encourage people like Grace to, to build more product, more quality product. Um, and ultimately that will allow more people to, to get into home ownership. Mm. And I, that question now goes to you, Grace, is that, you know, what you're at the forefront of it, you're in the, in the heart of, you know, the industry, what needs to be, what, what's your view on what needs to be done? Okay. So I think the government already started to, you know, encourage people, especially for, you know, uh, 1st of July, they encourage uh, first home buyer to lift the price range from 650 to 800, which is, yes. you know, give them more wider range you can choose their um, first home um, benefit. So, but as David mentioned, exactly, uh, affordability is the key thing we need to concern, whether the purchaser, especially for the young purchaser, whether they can afford or not. Uh, I have no doubt, you know, Sydney become the most expensive city in the whole wide world. So <laughs> how government can help, you know, the young first home buyer to reduce, um, you know, the, the the pressure to afford to buy their first home buyer is very, very important. I know the government start to, you know, um, encourage people give only 5% of deposit that uh, the bank can uh, lend in for 95%. But mm. because, you know, the... Uh, because you know the bankers still have a very high standard um, lending policy, so even you know we have that policy, the buyer still hard to achieve. To be honest, but I think you know um, we need to think about the uh, few both way. So first thing, how to give more, uh, like you know um, the first home buy grant to help purchaser, but the other round is how to motivate the developer to deliver more, you know, stock and uh, reduce, you know, the overrun cost by yes. reduce the contribution because, you know, the council contribution, oh, just for example, you know, we have a project in Charleswood. It's just a future uh, project. So government, yes, um, we need to uh, pay the VPA, pay the affordable housing rate and also plan some, you know, other council country contribution. We understand that that's all government charge, but sometimes from developer side, we want to, you know, developer can help us, particular provider, you know, just like a bill to rent. We can have a more, you know, contribution deduction or benefit. Those kind of a planning support will be um, help a developer to deliver more stock rather than just, you know, do, do for one way to stimulate mm. the first home buyer only. Yeah. No, that that's a that's a great point that you make there. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of now looking to wrap up, and I'm thinking, you know, it's hard to predict what will go, what will happen in the year ahead because the past two three years have been a roller coaster, and we really don't know what's around the corner. But what sort of um, what's your outlook? Uh, this is goes to both of you 
Um, what's your outlook for the year ahead and what challenges or opportunities do you see? Um, that will go to, we'll go to David first. Uh, look, I'm, I'm feeling pretty bullish, to be honest, about the next 12, 24 months. I think, as we've said today, we've had a challenging period. Um, but again, not, not to labour the point, but the, the demand is there for, yes. for property development. And we're talking about residential property development here. The demand is there. So, you know, I, I have a lot of confidence that, you know, projects that are, that are launched will get absorbed and therefore projects that we fund will be successful and will be repaid if we're choosing the right developers, such as Grace and, and Bridgestone. Um, and, I, and I think the key difference really between, say, the last six months and, and looking forward is that I'm confident we'll get some stabilisation in in some of those factors that we've spoken about that have made things quite challenging. You know, hopefully, hopefully weather is better and, and, you know, we joke about that, but that actually (laughs) has made an impact in the last 12 to 18 months. Um, I think construction costs have have stabilized and as the world continues to open up post COVID, you know, supply chains should ease up cost of materials, things like that should ease up. We should have more migration, which helps on the, on the supply side as well because of, of labor uh, and we should have a stabilisation in interest rates. And in fact, I actually, I actually think we perhaps will have a reduction in interest rates over the next 12 or 18 months uh, to a degree. So all of those factors, I think, are positive for, for property development um, when they're looked at in the context of, of the demand that we've spoken about at length. And then I think on the, on the financier side, you know, there's an incredible amount of capital, uh, both domestically and, and globally now in, in pension funds and superannuation schemes that really needs to be invested. Um, and it is difficult to, to get returns, um, notwithstanding the fact that interest rates have, have risen. And, you know, real estate debt as an asset class is maturing very quickly. And it's an asset class that is now very attractive to uh, domestic capital and, and global capital and um, you know, us and, and our competitors in this space who are raising money uh, to invest into real estate get debt are having some really positive conversations with people who, who really see the benefit in that asset class and, and even perhaps more attractive than real estate equity right now um, due to the risk return differential favouring real estate debt a little bit. So I think there'll be a lot of money that comes into this sector uh, in the next couple of years. And, and of course, that will make things more competitive, make the cost of debt cheaper, you know, it, it'll, it'll promote, um, promote this industry. So I, I feel quite positive about it. MaxCap Group is one of Australia's leading commercial real estate financiers. Since inception in 2007, they have originated and managed $14.5 billion across more than 490 investments spanning all real estate sectors and across the full capital stack. Same question to you, Grace. What's your outlook for the year ahead and any challenges and opportunities that you see as a developer? Okay, so... Um, we're still seeing the challenges by, you know, high level construction cost and the interest rate not going to easing, you know, away that quick. But mm. of course, we always need to be positive, right? So global-wise, I believe Australia is still the best, you know, living city. So we've been attracting lots of, you know, um, investors or migrants coming from uh, global-wide. And also just like David mentioned, not only attractive person, 
also attract their money as well. So <laughs> yes. time, you know, always this money coming to Australia. I wanna you know find this is a safe safest country and the safest you know city to invest in their money. So that's the opportunity I've been seeing. And also, you know, um, the second part I've been seeing, because, you know, during the COVID, it is a washout to lots of developers who is not in good management, who didn't mm. deliver a good project. So, which is, you know, from developer part, we we have less competitors. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, you know, if we have, you know, more money to choose, but less competitors, I think it definitely <laughs> will be a good and useful developer, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that's uh, a very yeah. yeah. So and also sort of thing, you know, from um the council. So recently, you know, I just uh, uh, talking to Hills Council, which is you know my currently uh, development project. I said, oh, how do you think you know the new opportunity in the same area because we've been doing well? They said um, now uh, they've been pushed by state government to approve the DA within you know two hundred days. Which is, you know, when we approve our DA, we're taking 20 months to get. And wow. now we're the state government to approve the DA quicker. So I think yeah. this is, you know, um, another uh, positive way from government side to push uh, push the suppliers, right? Mm. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, I, yeah. I think that the DA approval process, some of them have been dragging out for, uh, for far too long. Uh, there was... Uh, just in Melbourne, the, just on the development, for example, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Preston Markets that was, you know, has now gone on for five years. So that just goes to show uh, yeah, um, true, the true. DA process. So this, is a, this is a very, very positive from, you know, government if they're doing this. Yeah. Hmm. But also, oh. last thing I, I need to just highlight. And also, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah, as a, you know, um, developer, I think, you know, we're seeing the opportunity, but also we need to be cautious to select, the, you know, the good team to drive the su- success for to the end. As I mentioned, you know, we had to get in uh, cost of saving from uh, by land, by setting the, pro- uh, setting the product and also squeeze the builder. But seriously, consider how we can reduce the financial cost from a uh, good financier who can provide, you know, good service, good uh, facilities and the term sheets, they're probably coming with, you know, the end solution. Mm. No, that, I think that was why it was just when I, um, it was a great way to end Grace because I think, as I said, it was when the opportunity came to speak to both of you, I said, yes, yes, <laughs> because it's one of those things I just wanted to hear from a financier and a developer. And I'm sure our listeners and our readers too, because you've given us some great insights today into what's happening in the market. Um, so uh, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Nelson. Thanks, Nelson. Pleasure.